0: Hi and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show.
1: Hello and welcome to the I'm not stalling because I've forgotten uh, no this I is think it's 11. number this is number twelve. No, oh no number twelve. It's eleven? Yeah, it's eleven. Alright, it's eleven. Andrea says it's eleven <laughs> or it's number ten the second time whatever um no all right what number did i think it was 12 no well it's not 12 it's 11 okay um all right with that out of the way this show's brought to you by zesting lemons is bullshit i think that was the whole phrase which i don't know i like lemon zest so come at me um let's see is there anything really interesting we should do off the top we could take care of our uh, patreon business i can get that pulled up we're back in the good old days we're clicking and clacking oh don't ask me to do all this all right we're gonna we're gonna go through this quickly we have um affordable trail solutions brady michael six pack outdoors troy lead out sports aaron alec anthony bill brad evan garrett super fan jake jamie jeff with a j jenny Talia, josh mountain bike radio ben nicholas nick parker phil scott taylor ty will will and that's it and then just one we're gonna i'm gonna do this every time i'm gonna pick one gimme someone that's maybe like Not at that level, but they're just, like, still trying. So, um, Thomas, we're not going to say your last name. So, there could be multiple of you out there. Um, All right. So, with that out of the way, uh, we probably don't need all these uh, other windows here open. I should pull up something relevant to bicycles, like Bike Rumor or something. I mean, is there anything cool going on? Like, has anything happened in the last week that... Uh, Specialized just dropped some new road bike pricing that is out of control but we can talk about that if you guys want But
0: yeah we can talk about that in a second um, Kenny what have you been up to
2: I think I went on one mountain bike ride in Park City it was a good time super cool fall colors out there That's oh yeah a-
0: are you getting the yellow aspens and stuff
2: yeah, there's a decent number of aspens out there, not a ton. But yeah, pretty cool. That's about it. Other than that, I ride my motorcycle a lot.
0: Matt and I went out and did a ride on Aspen Ridge, which is as you might imagine a large ridge covered in aspens. That that's his, it was, that's uh, I
2: could see where I could see where that would be <laughs> the case.
0: And we tried to lose another GoPro, but didn't lose it all the way. Matt realized it had fallen out of his pocket and we rode probably a mile back and someone in a side-by-side had just found it. Or someone oh, in a truck was... found it and then was giving it to someone in a side-by-side to bring to us because somehow this guy knew that a couple of people on mountain bikes had a GoPro with them that they dropped.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like, well, at least the you dude got in it in the tr- back. Yeah, the dude in the truck like was oncoming traffic to us and the side-by-sides like we had passed them like they passed us and then they were having lunch and we passed them and then the dude in the truck was like as i rode up like saying i think this belongs to those mountain bikers can you go catch them because he was like oh man there's no way i could have like gotten my truck turned around and everything and ever like chased you guys down so it was super cool um because if we'd lost the second gopro this year i probably would have just cried um cuz I don't lose things and then the the GoPro is lost and that's just sad and then like to lose that I'd just be real sad and yeah god damn my brain just vaporized well you were talking about Aspen Ridge no no it's mine now I'm just going to talk for a few minutes talk about old you need to write stuff down just write down your notes so um what I did this week Andrew and I rode bikes I feel like I rode mountain bikes once without Andrea or maybe rode mountain bikes once with Andrea. I can't remember. No, no. We went and we rode Aspen Ridge. The next day we went and sighted in rifles and then the next day we went squirrel hunting and uh, just because this is the just riding a long show, not the just hunting a long show to give you the like brief synopsis that won't make your eyes roll in the back of your head if you're not into it, which is, um, it was opening day of squirrel season, and uh, the squirrels were much more successful than we were. I think that's the best way to put it. So with that out of the way, um, let's see, went to, went to work and, um, you know, I've, I've done a really good job of, of not, you know, outing uh, the Conglomo Corp that I work for, Conglomo Corp or whatever, Illumination Global Unlimited. That's a good one. That's a that's one from another podcast. That's their fake company. And a customer actually, like I had the first customer, you got to realize I've been on the, like I had some phone issues when I first started. Like my internet was weird and I couldn't use our VOIP service. So I couldn't do our like phone system. So I did a bunch of chat or email support and uh, I've been on the phone like six or eight months now. And, like, today was the first, or, like, this weekend was the first time I, like, told a customer. I was like, hey, just hear me out here. Um, We're not going to be able to use language like that. We're going to have to not think or not talk that way so we can both work towards a resolution because that language isn't going to help me get you to a resolution with this. Um, And that's the first time that uh, I've been in that situation where i've been threatened during phone support it was amazing so people are going nuts i mean that's that's the reality of it we've alluded to this a few times before but like yeah that was my first time of like people just going absolutely bonkers and it's like cool man like fedex didn't deliver your package i i'm sorry but i i can't drive to your city and find it in the truck I just can't. That's that's not something that I can offer for you. It's it's just not feasible. I apologize. You know, like it's just kind of uh kind of odd to be living through the, the meltdown of society as we know it it seems. Um and not to be all doom and doom and gloom. But yeah, like it's just it's just wild to see the the change in friendliness from person to person right now. It's a it's a really weird thing to be living through, so yeah, if you, if you face customers in your everyday life and your job, you, um, you have to do that. Just know that I'm sorry for you because uh, I get it. So what uh, I'll call- add
2: is from my viewpoint, if you have pretty much your entire life only ever worked in an office environment or maybe you're not in a super customer-facing position, maybe you're an engineer, I don't know. When you go out in public and you talk to – real people in real life, you should consider not being a dick. That's it.
1: Yeah, I mean, to to talk about it, you know, like, oh, what if it happened to your daughter, right? That's how you get, like, people to acknowledge the terrible things that happen to women in society, right? Like, what if someone came in your job and acted a damn fool? Like, like, how would that make you feel? Like, it's not going to get anything done. So, any uh, anything outlandish or... Uh, out of the norm happened this week for you, Kenny. You know <laughs> no. that's on air friendly. No, nothing crazy. Just so busy,
2: and just trying to you know, ra- you know, get to terms with what the economy is doing and worker shortage and high demand for certain uh, in certain industries, including our own, and you know, still being baffled that people can't understand how there could still be issues. People wanting everything done yesterday. Just people with crazy expectations. Like I love solving people's problems and we're in a customer facing position in a customer facing industry. Like we're here to help people, but like we're also not magicians. We can only do so much. And just the absolute lack, total lack of preparedness in any way, shape or form or having any alternate game plan if something's not working out, it's it's amazing. I just can't believe more people don't die on a daily basis in just life situations. It's incredible. Not talking about coronavirus well, stuff. Just no, you're you're pe- like, oh my god, keeping uh, themselves alive. i don't understand. Like, has no one ever encountered a problem in their entire life? And it's not that I'm creating all these problems. I'm just saying in general. As much as I want to solve everybody's problems right then and there, sometimes I just cannot. And people, people just cannot understand it. And people are so impatient. It's really crazy.
1: Yeah, it's almost like you expect them to be like in their kitchen with a sink full of water, and then suddenly they pick up their toaster and they're like, "Oh shit, this is hot! I know what I'll do. I'll put it in this sink of water to cool it off and stop the burning on my hands at the same time. And then they electrocute themselves. Like that's what you mean by people dying every day. Like just total like. There's no reason a sensible human would do this, but here we fucking are. Like exactly. Um, you know, from
2: what happens if you know your car stops working for a various reason and you're actively using it, what do you do? Where do you put the car? Who do you call? You don't have to be a mechanic. I'm not saying everybody needs to be unbelievably mechanically inclined or anything like that. I understand that not everybody can fix every situation. I can't fix every situation that I come into, you know, maybe I run into a tax problem or a who knows what, and I need to get somebody in that field of expertise to help me. But the fact that people almost don't even know where to start on stuff, it it blows my mind. I mean, we live in the, also the age of like everybody in their hand has the most knowledge they could ever have in their entire life by just consulting the internet. And anyway, it, just in general, this is not necessarily a bike shop rant. It's just like a life rant. It blows my mind just how bad people are at overcoming adversity or, you know, God forbid, I don't know, you roll into a restaurant and they tell you on the front end, Hey, we're really sorry. I only have two people working here right now. It's been very busy. We have other locations shut down. Everybody's being kind of sent here. It's going to be X amount of time before you get a table and people will look at you like dumbfounded, like that's not a possibility. It just, well, it is. You're going to have to figure out a game plan. If you don't like that, maybe you should go to the store real quick and whip up some food at your house and hang out with your friends. Like, I I don't know. Just any hiccup anybody encounters, nobody can mentally handle it, and I'm kind of tired of it.
1: That's actually what I was going to say is, like, the the one thing that I get when people meet me, they're like, hey, you're nicer than I thought you would be in real life. And I'm like,
0: that's not what Mike
1: said. Uh, well, actually, Micah, Micah Gordon from no. Per, no, no, Micah, Micah Van Horn from SRAM says, I can't believe someone hasn't punched you in the throat yet. But he likes me in real life. He didn't say I should punch you in the fucking throat. He said, I can't believe someone hasn't punched you in the throat yet. And I was just like, yeah, true. I mean, you know, but where I'm going with that is like, I am a little bit of an asshole when it comes to service. Like I expect good service. But you know what I do? Because people generally don't give great service. I make all my own food. Like, I don't go to restaurants. Like Yeah, there you go. We go back two years, you know, when you were like, I was like hugging strangers and like squishing people's forks, like while holding them up on their bikes and they were sweating at festivals. Like, yeah, I've done that. Think about that. Like, I didn't like going to restaurants then. It's not coronavirus driven. It's like. I just think that restaurants usually don't do that great of a job. So you know what I do? I go to the store and I buy some shit and I do it at home. Like you don't want to wait for the bike shop. Like order some stuff online and do it in your garage. Yeah, it, and this there's is not- no th- there's no right of repair issues here. Like you can buy anything you need to do anything you need to do to your bicycle, with the exception of like brain service, probably. What I'm getting at is this is not a oh you
2: should treat your bike shop with utmost respect and I'm the only person that can solve your problem and that's not what it is at all like we should always be doing everything we can to help you and try to go as fast as we can and all that stuff but this is nothing to do with a bike shop if you run into an issue that needs to be solved by a specialty person because you don't have the skills or you don't have the time then you're kind of at the mercy of those people of course they should give you the best service that they can but when they tell you no, sorry, I can't do that because of XYZ because the part's not available or because what you have is not compatible or what you're asking me is not a thing that I do for various reasons or whatever. You just need to say, okay, and find another game plan. Like (laughs) when people come in with these weird, you know, China electric scooters and they've got weirdo tubes that I don't carry or I know that it's going to take two hours for me to do this double flat repair because of all the weird wonky stuff on this. And if I know if I break anything on it, I'm not gonna be able to get any replacement parts and then you're still going to hold me liable. And when I tell you, Hey, I'm really sorry, I'd love to work on one of those things, but I cannot. And they just look at me like I have to solve their problem because they came to me and it just, that's just crazy to me. And I know that if I were whatever, I was about to go on a road trip And I blew a head gasket on a car and I'm like, shoot, I have to go on this trip. You have to squeeze me in today to do a head gasket. And they're like, well, I'm really sorry. It's an eight hour repair and I'm booked. Like I get you done in a day or two, but that's the best I can do. You don't just look at them like, well, I don't understand what I do anymore. You need to tell me how I can fix this. I have to go on my road trip. Well, you need to figure out a solution there, buddy. Go rent
1: a fucking car. Yeah. And just to. Not this is gonna be beaten to death, but it's just like, like we're a at the end of the day, right? Like every bike shop is a business, and if Kenny decides that their shop's not going to do X, Y, Z, it's totally fine because they're a private business. And if the company I work for said we don't do A, B, C, that's fine. I, I don't know how that's difficult, but the fact
2: that people, you know, will just demand whatever they want absolutely blows my mind, right? Anyway, so I think that's enough of that. That's beaten to death. But just in general, where people's common sense has gone and people's courtesy and, and all the things is is crazy, um, that's more so why I I'm, can't wait for all this stuff to be over because so many people are just – unreasonable and still just can't wrap their head around something being a little bit different and maybe having to do something slightly different in their life like you know maybe wait a little bit longer or maybe get a different product or whatever it might be it, it absolutely blows my mind amongst many other things just I mean does everybody just work in offices now is that all that anybody does no I, I mean I people understand. work
1: from home they work from home but they don't actually work from home apparently they're just watching netflix on their second screen cuz no one that works from home is actually getting anything done says yeah. someone that works their ass off from home so <laughs> uh, all right
2: so we've beaten that together. let's talk about uh, let's talk about bicycle stuff and not sad life stuff
1: i
0: was going to start with a little feel good story when we had our listener or sorry when we started having our mixer problems uh, one of our listeners, Eric, aka Turbo, as he signed his letter, says, "Hey, I have um, I have a mixer that I'm not using because I tr- I was gonna start a podcast, but then I didn't. So, he boxed up and sent this mixer. Wouldn't let me give him anything for shipping. Um, so I'm just gonna probably give him like I don't know if we if we ever get to making t-shirts or stickers or patches or anything fun like that. Uh, definitely gonna send him something." However, I'm not smart enough to connect this mixer to the computer, so I bought the wrong cord to try and do that. So we're still sharing a microphone right now, but uh, we will get it figured out at some point. So well, yeah. that was thank nice. You,
2: thank you, kind person, for, um, you know, without us directly asking, uh, solving yeah. a problem. So that, that's, that's fantastic. So that's the flip side of people who actually stop and think, and maybe try to uh, solve problems. That's awesome.
0: Right, yeah. People being nice. Um, I went for a ride today in Canyon City, which is about, I don't know, how far away is it? Like 40 miles down Canyon? It's about an hour away. So, hour from the house, get to Canyon City. Lower elevation. And, you know, I've got to say, for a place that is just kind of figuring out, hey, mountain biking is cool and we should promote mountain biking more. They've got some really cool trails there. They've got, I'd have to say though, like if I was just like a recre, like if I was just a jogger and I was like, you know what? I want to try mountain biking. And I went and I got like a decent entry level hardtail and I went out on the trails in Canyon City I would probably hate life a little bit because a lot of the trails are really difficult. And I just want you to know if you are a beginner mountain biker in Canyon City and you just go out and do your best, like you are doing some amazing work because the trails there are not easy at all. They definitely have some easy stuff and they've built some stuff too recently that is more like flow trail um you know a little wider a little less exposed um less rocky like they definitely on some of the stuff i rode today um uh, they've they put some dynamite and like rock chippers to good use to build the trails that some of the trail i rode today but for the most part the older trails out there are pretty fucking hard um so yeah like it's it's a fun place to ride so if you ever visiting colorado and you're going you know along highway 50 If it's not the middle of summertime, because in Canyon City it does get incredibly hot, uh, or if it is the middle of summertime and you come from the south, like when I first moved to the area, I went and rode in Canyon City in kind of like the hot part of the summer because I still had like my Memphis heat resistance and it didn't really bother me. But now if I tried to do that in the middle of the summer, I would just melt. Like I literally would just turn into a Viscous liquid and just fall off my bike or my bike would melt through me or something. I don't know like it would be terrible. So (laughs) uh, One good thing about my ride. So Canyon City also is it's rough on tires because the trails are Incredibly rocky and really just gritty in general and there's lots and lots of cactus and I got some cactus in my rear tire and the sealant, that finish line, uh, the new version of finish line sealant, sealed up the cactus holes. So that was uh, that was promising. It worked like sealant should work. I know there was some doubt out there about that.
2: Is there anything in the world that is will make a smaller hole than a cactus needle?
0: Well, that's like the one thing that, uh, like that and a goat head thorn are the one thing that I think sealant... Every sealant should be able to seal that, and if it doesn't, it just isn't worth using. Like I know that, like other types of holes in tires poked by rocks, glass, whatever, pulling knobs off so that it exposes part of the casing and air leaks out, like that kind of stuff. Like that's that's a crapshoot. You never know. You know, your one sealant may work better on one, and one sealant may work better on the other. It and most sealants don't work on every type of hole in your tire, but every sealant should seal up a cactus thorn in a goat head. And I, I have to say like this one passed. I was going to say, back when we were talking about and this has absolutely nothing to do with bikes, but I just wanted to see if Kenny had made the same observation. Kenny, have you noticed this is so off topic that old dudes getting up like over 70 they all have the same facial hair. Like that goatee and mustache combo. I think I you know actually that have noticed. that
2: too, don't you? I don't know that I've noticed that. I mean, I'm old as shit, but...
0: No, <laughs> you're not. You're younger than I am, motherfucker.
2: <laughs> well, you're old as shit too. Um, <laughs> I guess in the technical sense, you're older than shit. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I've noticed that. I'll have to keep an eye out.
0: Yeah, like, keep an eye out for, like, the... Just the classic, stereotypical boomer guy, like... I like my dad I noticed it with my dad. Like one time my dad never had facial hair except like when he'd go and go yeah, when I was a kid he used to go hunting in New Mexico with friends and family and he'd come back and he'd have you know, like he just didn't shave for the the week that he was there. Sure.
2: Just like scruffy. And he
0: Yeah, he'd just be a little scruffy and then he'd shave and go back to work. So he never had facial hair. And then like one time I just made a trip back to Memphis for you know like family time around I don't know Thanksgiving Christmas or something my dad has this facial hair I'm like what the hell is that on your face <laughs> and then I started I started paying attention to it and I noticed it so many times like when we went out onto uh out to Aspen Ridge I noticed that the uh the old guy that in the truck that found our phone like he had the same facial hair and I asked Matt I'm like do you think that's like, what do you think that is? And it's, you just start looking and like, then you can't unsee it now. Like from now on, you're always going to notice that, you know, like these, these old guys have facial, the same facial, the facial hair. Matt thinks it's because it's, that's the hardest part of your face to shave. Yeah. So for me, like, to be quite honest,
2: it. for me, it's truly, uh, I don't necessarily think it looks good. It's just pure like convenience slash laziness. Of like I can once every two days run just like a regular trimmer on the side of my face and not have to do like the whole close shave thing, so yeah, pure convenience, honestly,
0: yeah, that's that's what I would imagine it is once you when you get to be that age, like you don't wanna waste any more time doing stuff like shaving, you wanna do whatever seventy something year old men do, <laughs> wear new balances <laughs> and white socks,
2: yeah try to get up out of chairs
0: polish polish up your new balances go get your senior coffee at McDonald's
2: I can't wait until I get my next new set of velcro shoes
0: <laughs> wait you have another you have a set already
2: no I don't unfortunately I think the last velcro set of shoes I had was probably when I was like six but yeah when you're six and then when you're 60 are the I think
0: I had some velcro that shoe had pop- ages uh popples on them
2: i don't know what that is
0: Uh, it was a stuffed animal it you could turn it basically like it had a pouch on its back and you could like turn it inside out into the pouch and there was a cartoon also
2: and they were on your shoes like little pouches you could like put stuff in
0: no no it was just a picture of a popple on the side
2: gotcha i had some la lights they were pretty sick (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, I always wanted those, but they would cost too much for kids' shoes, and my parents wouldn't buy them for me.
2: Yeah, I was able to convince my parents <laughs> to get me one set of LA lights when I was like super young, and then like in maybe elementary school when the pumps were super popular. Yeah,
0: I, I did. One I was able pumps. to get
2: one set of pumps, but then that was it. They also, I managed to break them pretty quickly because I tried to figure out like how the little bladder system worked and all that stuff, and I broke them, and. Yeah, and they were were not willing to buy me anymore.
0: I I think my parents, I don't remember wearing mine much. And I, I think now looking back, my parents might have taken them away from me. Because I believed that if I pumped up the shoes a little extra, I could do stuff like jump off of tall things. Like instead of jumping from like the fourth step up onto the ground, I'd jump from like the fifth or sixth step up. Onto the I think ground. that's pretty.
2: I think that's pretty reasonable.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just give it a little couple of extra, tss, tss, and then just take a flying leap and
2: man, you know, those nothing, commercials were so breaks. good. I know. I they they made that very distinct like tss sound on them. It I was know. Amazing.
0: How do you think I knew how to make that noise?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Like the 80s and 90s were the best
0: for shoes or like in general
2: no just in general not so much for Eh. mountain bikes
0: (laughs) yeah not for mountain bikes at all so no Uh, yeah i guess not for uh
2: you know finance finance was pretty good it was kind of the wild wild west you could do some crazy stuff um you know equality eh you know not so much Uh, but great commercials great cartoons
0: all right well that's oh yeah i need to give my uh, weekly chicken nugget Um, one of my hens is getting picked on really bad, and so I'm going to have to put my little extra yard up that I had built for the meat chickens. I'm going to have to put that back up and keep her isolated, or keep her maybe with, like, one other chicken that's... I might keep her with the little, uh, the small meat bird that I kept out of the group. I might keep those two together just so she has some company, but she's got... She's got like a big peck hole in the side of her head. And I got to cover it up and get her isolated because I feel bad for her. She gets chased around a lot. So I got to let her heal up and get fat and fluffy again. But that is my weekly chicken nugget. I'm sorry. It's not a happier chicken nugget. Oh, and uh, my electric fence, I think, deterred a bear today. Everything was normal when I went in the house when I got home from Canyon City. And... When I left to go to work, I looked over at the chicken yard and like the whole corner, like one whole corner was on the ground and like moved in six or seven feet. And the ground's real like, it's lots of leaves and weeds and stuff. So I couldn't look for tracks, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, I don't know what other animal could have done that unless a deer got tangled in it. But I didn't see signs of like a deer struggle. Like when deer panic, they leave a lot of... Like hoof marks and stuff and scratch the ground up. So, pretty sure a bear tried to get to the chickens and just got shocked by the electric fence repeatedly. Like, it would have just been taking shocks and shocks and shocks, like, as far as it moved the fence. Shock, shock, That's pretty shock, wild. shock, 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 <laughs> shock. Okay. So, this is from Patreon. Uh, we have a question from Brock. He says, Just saw the numbers on the new Rocky Mountain element. You know, I'm glad I'm reading this because I forgot that i wanted to talk about that bike 120 rear 130 front 65 degree head tube angle 76 degree seat tube angle i'm thoroughly disappointed because i enjoy a good xc race bike i've got a 17 element with a wolf tooth angle adjust headset to get it to 68 degrees oh 68 degree angle and i love it was hoping rocky would just make the new one lighter and a tiny bit more slack the new one has about the same geometry as my Ripmo AF with way less travel. I feel like they went way too far down way too far and won't be buying one. So the question are XC bikes dead? Is everyone going to push for a sub sixty six degree head tube angle on all bikes in the future? I can't comprehend my XC bike and Enduro bike having identical geometry and only being separated by weight and travel. Well Brock, I think as long as there is World Cup cross-country, the companies that sponsor teams and riders in World Cup cross-country will make the bike you're looking for. Um, If you look at the current World Cup competitors, I don't think anyone's riding a Rocky Mountain. Matt's shrugging his shoulders, but, you know, I I wouldn't worry about it. I don't think... So I, I think that Rocky Mountain made a nice bike looks like a fun trail bike to ride, you know, a little on the lighter side, kind of nice, like in the kind of category that I like my bikes now. I think calling it a cross country bike was a stretch. You know, I don't really think that's, um, they could have just left that part out, you know, because you're going to have some, some people that are looking for a shorter travel bike and they won't even pay attention to that bike because, uh, you know, someone who owns an enduro bike is like, oh, you know, I want to get a cross country bike and or sorry, I just want to get a, uh, you know, something that's not an enduro bike, but something that's still kind of shreddy. Just because it's called a cross country bike, that person might just ignore it and not even pay attention to the fact that it's exactly what they're shopping for. I just think that it's like a misnomer on Rocky Mountains part to call it a cross country bike. Um, but I think that you will always have full-on dickhead cross-country bikes from other companies. Those companies just won't be Rocky Mountain.
1: I mean, I don't really, for lack of a better way to put it, I don't, I don't care. I mean, a 34 bike and a 36 bike are never going to ride the same. Travel aside, so you know that's really tough to say. And like, I, I don't know what the magic number is. I don't know where we need to make the bike. Like, okay, so when we talk about, like, changing the the head tube angle, I'm fairly certain the new bike is designed for a shorter offset fork as well, though. Because a a slacker head tube angle, bigger offset fork is a faster steering bike. So if you want to run a shorter offset, you need to make it even slacker to make it handle the same. So if they change the offset from year to year, which I can't guarantee, but I'm fairly certain that that would have occurred then, yeah, like, you need to slack it out to keep it the same. So that's something to consider. And then, you know, the bike's still light. And I think we're in this weird zone where, like Andrea said, I I think there's going to be two XCs in the future. And if we go back a long time, there was marathon bikes, but they sucked because they were way too heavy, right? But now marathon bikes, which is what this bike really would be in the XC world, it would be a marathon bike. Uh, I think if you're going to do a, you know, 50 mile race, like you're going to do Gunnison Growler, which is like 60 miles, or you're going to do um, like one of the longer longer format, like Marathon Nationals or something, and they're in Colorado, like I don't think you're going to be bummed you have that bike. And if you're like, as Andreas calls it, dickhead fast, which I think is kind of sexist, so if you're like dickhead or like super lippy, whatever it may be, (laughs) um, like XC bro bra, then yeah, you're going to want like a hardtail or you're going to ride a whatever that thing is. I can't remember the name of it right now. Supercaliber. You know, another thing to talk about, though, because, like, this was just sprung on me, so I didn't do any of my homework. What's a Scott Spark RC? I mean, they're racing that in World Cup. It's 120, 120. Hell, the element's only 10 more up front. Let's see what Scott's website gives us for... God, I would pay a dollar if this website just like actually showed me the bikes instead of showing me all these pretty pictures about the bikes we're gonna go down this rabbit hole again like there needs to be two versions of every website like i need the get shit done mode and i need the like i'm here for a long time that's a pretty time like i've scrolled most of this oh okay i finally scrolled down far enough to find the bike so Just go to, like, the nice one, but not the stupid one. I mean, the head tube angles, what's the one on the Rocky 65? Yeah. I mean, on the the Spark RC, it's 67.2. That Then Nino races that bike. I mean, it's just a little bit slack. Like, as everything gets slacker, if you want to be slacker than normal, you got to go far. So... You know, and I think the element, I think it it did two updates at once. I think that's pretty tough for people to swallow, right? Like, that bike was a decade or a generation behind, and now it's, like, half a generation in front. I think that's a way to think of it because the last bike was not light or slack. Like, it wasn't really light. It wasn't really light, and it wasn't really capable either. It was just kind of, like, in that middle ground, you know? So I just think that, well, I don't know. I I just think you could, uh, I think you could do cooler stuff with, uh, with that bike than you could the old one. But yeah, I think if you want to do like purebred, full blown cross country racing, yeah, you're going to be looking at a different bike for sure. What other questions do we have? Am I supposed to read those? Sure. Okay. Andrea just pulled up a page and then didn't send anything. Uh, let's see. So Chris says every six months or so I'll change my tires and every year or so I'll replace the rim tape. When I remove the rim tape, I'm always surprised by how much moisture is inside the rim. What's the, what's, what's the best way to manage this? Is there a better way to, is there a way to build a better wheel to prevent water seeping in the spoke holes? Mm -hmm. No, it's super simple. You buy DT Swiss carbon rims with weep holes. (laughs) Uh, Really? Like, I don't know why every carbon wheel doesn't have a weep hole. They work really well. They do exactly that. They they let the the junk in the rim leak out, which is ideal cuz you probably don't want your rim all soupy inside. I don't know, like I I I don't think there's a way you can solve that. Like you're going to use the nipples or nipple washers recommended by the wheel and you're not going to stop water ingress at the nipple. Uh you could do that if you rode like a Silverton SL style carbon wheel or like a mad fiber wheel or what are those wheels, those crazy five spoke wheels that like a handful of world cup racers get paid to ride. They're bad. They're always like the people that you see, like getting stuffed up in like the 14th corner, like falling over at walking pace.
0: I was going to no, say, that's good. Maybe... I never thought
2: about that. It's pretty important to have we pulse on, really darn near anything. I don't know why more people don't do that. Cause it's going to happen. You do any kind of Creek stream crossing, you wash your bike a bunch, like it's going to happen. And yeah, I think I heard you answer it. You're not going to stop it at the nipple level and shoot probably not even at the valve stem level. Usually it's the valve stem that actually lets it in. I know that confuses a lot of people, but the seal on your valve stem, when you're tubeless is on the innermost part of the rim, not on that first part of the rim.
0: I was going to say, maybe he has weep holes, and at some point, some sealant got in his rim and sealed up the weep hole.
1: Very possible. Maybe you just need to get your get your little thing in the weep hole and be like, weep whoop, weep whoop, weep whoop, but you probably don't have weep holes, and if you don't, I do not recommend adding them to your rim, <laughs> because um, my lawyer says that that's not something I should recommend anymore. Yeah, um, then you're going to
2: get a very large weep hole at one point
1: and you'll be like we will uh, let's see Thomas says the I, I have no clue what any of this means um, <laughs> he says uh, best chicken nugget so far episode 10 but you told the story wrong they grow so fast they explode and he sent a YouTube video he says I'm ready to start a GoFundMe for a nugget webcam um, I think they're talking we so, were
2: talking about how fa- like certain meat chickens grow so fast they can't like sustain themselves essentially.
1: Yeah, their body outgrows their chonk and then they their chunk just goes and falls over. Um, and he says, I have a trail section demon I've been battling for a year. I just need to risky business it. And I have no fucking clue what that means. So also I'm gonna default to recommending not to risky business it because again, my lawyers have told me that uh, endorsing behavior that I don't understand is a great way to go back to prison. <laughs> is yeah. that a question? It what, which which part? Want me to read it? I'll read it. Which part is the question? It's the long part. Uh, I've been very curious about gearboxes and why they haven't made it into mainstream bikes yet. This is Roman. Uh, okay, it is October. We can't talk about this again for like till April or May.
2: Yeah, we we discussed this on a few episodes ago.
1: Right. Seems like systems themselves got really good, but none of the major manufacturers adopted it. Same goes for components. Shimano had a patent for one, but nothing has come out of it, and we're just getting more speeds for some reason. Electronic shifting can be a benefit for them as well. Can you guys maybe talk about them in upcoming episodes? Would love to know y'all's thoughts. Um, sure, I'm gonna it's go really, really simple. F- go ahead. Go. go. Uh, go. It's really, go. really
2: simple. In terms of efficiency, they are really, really bad. So, and I say really, really bad, they might lose 5%, 10%, 15%, something in that ballpark. If you basically just, um, and I'm not an engineer, this is just everything that I have read. And it makes a lot of sense coming from cars and all that kind of stuff. When you do at least 90 degrees, like you're, you're changing the, uh, you're changing the direction that you're like output shaft is for example so think like a rear end gear in a car you've got your drive shaft it goes to the rear end of your car and that's a 90 degree coupling right there but that that thing is just not very efficient unfortunately it creates heat and in a big machine i think having the uh, extremely low maintenance and the huge robustness of just big old freaking metal gears sitting in a big old thing of oil it's not a big deal But when you put a human being in the equation, when one human being is losing 10 to 15% of their effort, and the other person is losing 2% of their effort, no one in their right mind is going to choose the 15% one. So in machinery, we're a little bit of loss, whatever, not a big deal. Engines make so much power now. Everything's pretty uh, fuel efficient compared to what it used to be. It's just not a problem. But in human power, as crazy as it seems, Nobody's been able to figure out a better power transfer than a chain. Uh, But chains are not good at, you know, there's a lot of maintenance involved in a chain. Think about that, like a ton of maintenance involved in a chain that no one would ever accept in a motor vehicle. Um, They're also not terribly strong. When you're talking about big power numbers like over, um, you know, over 200 horsepower, you're almost never going to see a chain involved. Uh, They have tension problems. They do weird reverberation stuff if they break like you'll die because it'll whip around with 300 horsepower behind it and it's going to destroy everything in its path so
1: that's why um so kenny just gave like the let's call it the engineering why i'm gonna give the rider feel why um they suck i mean i i hate to be so blunt about it but like they're heavy uh we all know that i'm a closet weight weenie and not so closet. I'm like what I would call a functional weight weenie, right? If there's two options and one's lighter and, and functions the same or nearly the same, I'm going to take lighter even with a small performance hit 95% of the time. With that said, gearboxes are amazingly heavy. Uh, that's one. Two, they shift worse than like a seven-speed cruiser. When I say you can have zero power on the pedals when you shift, it's zero like it, you can't shift under load in any way and it's not like Ooh, i'm not in a hurry no it's like a mental shift no puns intended till you have to relearn how to shift a gearbox bike let's see i know you just said electronics but currently the internal gearbox and the electronic shifting crowd are polar fucking opposite so <laughs> until we get over that hump in the road you're not going to see a good shifter. Uh, the shifters are all twist shifters, and twist shifters suck. Why do twist shifters suck? They're not ergonomic. And for those of you that are like, blah, blah, they're actually more ergonomic, sit down, Charlie. I'm not done talking. They're The the packaging is not great. The use isn't great. When I say great, meaning you can't run any grip on the market with that. That's, that's not convenient, right? So... You don't have great shifting options in terms of how the controller functions with the unit. You don't have good ride feel, as in it rides like a bike you're used to in terms of shift performance and that drivetrain loss. Um, I think they're actually kind of noisy. And then, let's see, I'm going to launch into like one or two more tirades here and give it to Andrea. Uh, Chain retention is stupid. You need either, it has to be a hardtail, or... You're riding a full suspension bike that has some crazy derailleur-style tensioner on it, and then you haven't actually done anything better. Okay, talk to me about sprung versus unsprung weight and weight balance of the bike and all that crap. Sure, whatever. But what I'm saying is is you don't get that, well, I can't rip my derailleur off anymore. No, you're right. You'll rip off your tensioner. You You don't, and you're then adding the loss of a two-wheel tensioner and the loss of a... Um, Gearbox together You know they're just not They're not accepted by mainstream And it's chicken or the egg right But like they're not ready for prime time still I don't care how good they've gotten They're still not awesome
0: Yeah I mean what I was going to say Just because I think Out of the three of us I'm the only one that's ridden a Gearbox Bike for a substantial amount of time Uh, I rode A Domahitty No a viral Made by Steve Domahitty And I took it on a bikepacking trip. I actually raced a cross-country race on it.
1: Nearly died.
0: Well, it was also the weekend after Vapor Trail. So no matter what bike I was on, I would have nearly died. I mean, my body was like... I was basically just recovered enough that I could do the start and the first climb. And then my body was just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And just like shut down. But then after that, it was mostly downhill, so I I gutted it out and won the race. But anyway, it was a... <laughs> anyway. Anyway. I didn't dislike it. I didn't like it enough to say that Gearbox bikes should be more, I don't know, more available and more of a thing than they already are. I think that if you are you know, the the person that wants a gearbox bike doesn't care that you can't pedal more than 100 watts But when you shift. Um, they don't care about the loss, like the efficiency. They want something that's a little bit different. They want something that is zero maintenance. You know, you do like an oil change once a year is basically what you do. And then whatever drive mechanism you're using, whether it's a chain or belt... Um, you do whatever maintenance you have to do to that. And just so you all know, a belt is not maintenance-free. If you smash a belt into a rock, or you smash it into a log, or whatever you might smash a belt into, like on your chainring, you can break the cords in the belt. I never did, because the nice people at Gates said, hey, if you have a bash guard, you should use it when you have a belt-driven bike. So I did. And I never had a problem with that. But, you know, yes, they are extremely low maintenance. And I think that there are some people that a gearbox bike is, And probably the person who asked this question, Roman. um, If you love gearbox bikes and you're into it, I don't think that, you know, obviously the downfalls of gearbox bikes are not a big deal to you and you should have one. Because it didn't not work. It just didn't do what I want to do with a bike, which I think the biggest thing is you're limited practically to a hardtail, um, unless you want to deal with the stuff that Matt was talking about, you know, like trying to put a gearbox on a full suspension bike. So, you know, I think that's why you're not going to see, you know, a proliferation of gearbox bikes any time in our lifetime. So, next question. And I think this is going to be... a uh, Kind of a, a Kenny-geared question because he's done more wheel builds than Matt and I. Uh, this is from Benjamin. It says, do you guys build your carbon hoop wheels two-by or three-by? Do you put the outbound spokes on the drive side pulling or pushing? Alloy or brass nips? Spoke prep or nope prep? What tension do you bring the spokes up to?
2: Yeah, so all very good questions. Wheel building, uh, wheel building is a tough one. You know, I've spent an unbelievable number of hours trying to be objective about it, reading people's opinions, looking at like lab testing stuff, all this, all that garbage. And there are people that will just parrot random stuff, or this is just what people do, that's just how you do it. And the interesting thing is, like, a wheel. And what imparts strength to a wheel and what amount of flex is right and overall strength and fatigue resistance and all this stuff. It's incredible how many... Uh, I am of average intelligence. People that are very obviously of insanely high intelligence who honestly don't know how it works. Like people to this day argue like how it works. So it's, it's crazy to me. I think the best way to look at it is as much as I love to nerd out on science and, you know, show me in this test what's better. Show me in this test what's better. It's just, it's almost anecdotal. Like, just what works? What has worked? You know, if you see, if you build 100,000 wheels in different ways, which ones come back with the least problems, right? So, from that aspect, I can tell you don't ever build anything with aluminum nipples. There's just no reason. I've been guilty of it. I've done it. It's They are lighter in an absolutely perfect environment with no, no salt in the air whatsoever or no salt in whatever soil you're running through. I think they can be okay, but the weight difference is so tiny that I think it's just straight up not ever worth it in this day and age to build anything with aluminum nipples. They're just too problematic. So in my opinion, personal opinion, only use brass nipples. I'm a weight weenie as well. I wouldn't ever build another wheel um, ever again with aluminum nipples.
0: And why, just for our listeners who have never experienced the horror of aluminum nipples, why would you never want to use aluminum nipples, Kenny?
2: It's twofold one is corrosion resistance and just them breaking down and number two just straight up strength one versus the other which one's going to pull through um like which one's going to give up its threads first so and it's going to be the aluminum one uh but yeah if there's any salt in the air if you live even remotely close to the ocean uh in our case in uh, utah there, it's just real salty environment here. I don't know why. And it just destroys wheels. So, anyway, brass nips. So, that's the nipple part of the question taken care of. Uh, I'll just tackle this in no particular order. As far as what to tension the wheel to, that's going to be determined by the hoop. Spokes and nipples, in comparison to what it takes to pull that assembly physically through the rim bed like actually just if you could tension it up so tight what's gonna fail the rim hoop typically fails before the spoke of the nipple now when you start to like dynamically load a wheel yeah it might break in a different way but if imagine if you just had a static setup sitting there and you just start just insanely wrenching down insano tension a couple things are going to happen. One is you're probably just going to strip the nipple out, not the thread so much, but you actually just can't. The wrench flats are so tiny, they can only take so much torque. So you're going to have problems there. But eventually what's going to happen is you're just going to rip the whole base of that nipple straight through the rim bed. So the rim hoop determines how much tension to build. So it's up to that manufacturer to tell you what it is. Very generally speaking most carbon hoops are very happy at 120 kilograms of force or KGF and most aluminum rim hoops are happy around a hundred there's plenty that do are higher than that a lot of the nice DT Swiss stuff is rated for 120 this is just very general rule of thumb most carbon hoops are more tolerant of higher tension and most aluminum hoops a little bit less tension Matt were you saying something
1: what you're referring to would be called the pull through strength of the rim, and yes, it is the rim in in loading situations only. Um, so when we're not trying to turn the nipple, but if you had a really high tech machine that pulled on the spoke and measured the amount of force it took to do a blow or pull through and blow out the rim, uh, the it's very very uncommon for the spoke nipple or the spoke to fail; the rim fails. Far exactly. and away, well before that.
2: Yeah, that's much better way of explaining it than I did, where, yeah, if you had just a machine holding that spoke and it has got an infinite amount of power to it and it's just pulling on that spoke, what's going to break? Well, it's going to just pull through the rim bed. It's not going to just snap the spoke in half in the middle. It's probably not going to rip the threads out of the nipple. It's just going to pull straight through the rim.
1: So, anyway. Uh, that's and I have that. looked at that. That machine does exist. I haven't seen it ran, but I have seen the results of it before. Nice. So
2: that is tension. As far as crossing a number of crosses, that's a loaded question because you can build a hub. If it's not a J-bend hub, you have the ability to move those flanges about where you can have a two-cross that has the same bracing as a three-cross in a J-bend. So when you have a circle, it gets complicated because the size of the circle will determine how much overlap there is. So if you had like an obscenely large hub flange, like half the size of your wheel, let's say, you're going to have a whole lot more physical overlap where you're going to run into problems where you can't do the correct number of crosses to give you the correct bracing angle. And when I say bracing angle, it's a little different than uh, how wide your hub flange is. I'm talking about bracing angle as in what is resisting torsional forces. So if you imagine if you're twisting your hub, if you were to hold the rim still and you're trying to grab that hub and you're trying to twist the hub as if you're accelerating or if you're braking, you want to have the um, the leading and those trailing spokes, you want to have those kind of as far away as possible where they create the most bracing force for that. And I'm probably explaining that in a goofy way, but... In a non J bend hub, since you like a straight pull, like a you know, a nice DT straight pull, what you'll notice a lot of the times is if you look at a 28 hole on a J bend, you typically want to do a two cross. Um, but it would be cool if you could do a three cross on a 28, but usually you run into interference issues where you just can't. But a 28 hole straight pull. They machine those flanges; they're not symmetrical, so they can actually move those bracing spots basically further apart. And on a 28 hole, you can have the same or even a better bracing angle than a 32 three cross. So, I know that's a lot of info, but basically, you want as many crosses as you can on a modern bike that has probably disc brakes, and if you can put put out a lot of power, you want to have the best bracing that you can have because when you brake and accelerate, there's an insane amount of force that's trying to twist that hub inside of your wheel. So to kind of answer that question, always run as many crosses as you possibly can on a traditional J bend. You can typically only get away with a three cross on a 32 hole, and you can only get away with a two cross on a 28 hole or a 24 hole. And then it goes down to a one cross as you, the fewer and fewer spoke holes you have, they end up further apart on that circle. So you can run fewer crosses to get the same bracing angle. So I think that covers crossing. What else did he ask about?
0: Um, do you put the outbound spokes on the drive side pulling or pushing?
2: I'm convinced that doesn't matter.
0: Uh, truly. I've seen so many prep?
2: people. I've seen so many people build them both ways. And either way, I mean, maybe you could argue on the front wheel that if you have, and I'm going to say it wrong, but essentially maybe you want to have the ones that are going to be uh, torqued up in that torsion way under braking with the front wheel, because the front wheel will only be loaded up torsionally in one direction with a disc brake, whereas a rear wheel, it's acceleration and deceleration, so they both kind of equally twist forward and back. You could probably argue you can generate more power on the brakes than any human being can make under power. So maybe you want to brace it uh, more to the, the braking bias. But does it really matter? Because what you're talking about is, is it better when you twist a spoke that's further out versus two millimeters further in? Does it really matter? I, I, I just don't think so. I, see, I just don't see failures in that way. So I think that's one where people like to argue it because they want to know what the answer is. And I just don't know that there is a big enough difference to say it's worth it doing one way or the other. I don't think it matters. And spoke prep. Yes, always use spoke prep. People are going to have all kinds of weird and wonderful things. Like a lot of things, if I haven't tried them all, maybe there's something that's really good. I can just tell you from experience, my number one favorite is bare spokes with non-ProLock nipples. ProLock meaning that it's got uh, paste already applied inside of the nipple where you don't have to use anything, but I like just regular brass nips, regular old steel spokes, and I use wheelsmith smoke prep and get a nice thin coat on there and let it fully dry. I've had the best long-term luck with that, and they build the best. Prolocks are okay. They're a lot faster to build with, and it's way better than nothing without a doubt, but I'll get some weird binding issues when building higher tension wheels with Prolock nips. That's just my personal experience, so if you have the ability to just use the wheelsmith stuff, do that. Everybody's going to say stuff about linseed oil and all this crazy garbage. And I use Elmer's glue with glitter in it or whatever dumb garbage the internet comes up with. Uh, and they also say that all wheelsmiths book prep is, is paint. And I just, I don't think that that is the case. Uh, maybe because they both technically have latex in them or something that people assume that, I don't know. There's a whole lot of, If you go on wheel building places, people will, like, yell at each other. It's totally insane. But from my experience of all the, like, normal stuff that's out there that is mainstream, good old wheelsmith spoke prep works amazing. So I think that's a good place to start, at least. And if you want to try something else, that's great.
0: Well, all right. We've been going at it for uh, over an hour now.
2: Dang, that's a long time. And I'm going to throw some other wheel build stuff in here, too.
0: Oh yeah. The go more ahead, stuff I we'll build, wrap it
2: up. Um, the more I build stuff. I'm actually really enjoying straight pull stuff with one huge exception. Only use arrow light or similar bladed spokes because then you can have an actual proper spoke holder and you can build it. Straight pull hubs with regular old round spokes is the dumbest thing in the world. They're impossible to build. They're impossible to hold. Yeah, there's all kinds of weird stuff out there. I think. Uh, you know, Sapim or sapem however you pronounce their company name. They've got little baby wrench flats built onto the spokes now. Uh, and I think envy made some special in-house holder for them and all this garbage at the end of the day, if you can afford it, the best spokes you can have mountain road, don't care. DT aerolites lights are so freaking good. Just buy those and build those and put them on Straple hubs. And they're amazing. That's definitely the best thing to do. My second choice would be just a J-Bend hub and round double-butted DT competition spokes. They're also very easy to build. They don't wind up too bad. Uh, But my advice to you would be avoid your generic round spoke with a straight pull hub. Oh, and don't ever build with DT Revolutions. As much as I love DT Swiss, they do make some dumb stuff. Uh, DT Revolution spokes.
0: Like a triple-butted or something?
2: No, they're not triple-butted. They're just double-butted. And they're actually, they're like I believe, what lights start life out as. Because an Aerolite, my understanding is, an Aerolite is a DT revolution. And it is flattened in the middle. And a DT revolution is 2 mil on either end, 1.5 in the center. And then it's flattened. And then I think it goes through another heat treatment process. Um, but the revolutions, the problem with those is they're round. So they are going to twist up no matter what. J-bend, straight pull, doesn't matter. It's going to wind up. And the fact that it's so skinny in the middle compared to what the sizes of the threads are and the amount of force you can generate on that, it just twists for eternity when you build a wheel. So DT revolutions are awful. They're terrible. Don't ever buy them. Don't ever build with them. And even the DT competition race is terrible. Don't ever buy those. That's a two zero to six is the only difference. So don't build with either of those folks. They're dumb.
0: All right. Let's shut her
2: down. Shut her down.
1: All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along show.
0: There's some shit coming out of your brake pads. (laughs)